Good work. Guys, listen, I can't, there's no way for you to understand how absolutely excited I am to be here with you right now. And you're thinking, why? I mean, who, who are you? Well, let me tell you, as Nikki said, I was one of her youth pastors. I used to be a youth pastor here in this room. I used to stand on this stage and preach and lead worship. And we met on Wednesday nights, just like you're doing now. And it was amazing. And it was some of the best years of my life. This place is really, really special. And I could tell you a hundred different stories. I was telling Pastor David one earlier about I almost got knocked out and paralyzed right over here, but that's a long story. We don't have time for it. So, you think? 10-second uh, version. I was dressed up like a mascot in a giant bullfrog costume, and a giant bear hit me with a guitar and almost broke my back. That's what happened right there. <laughs> I wish we had it on video. I'd play it for you. Um, okay, but something really amazing happened in this room about 10 years ago now, and I'm going to get real with you. Here's what happened. And this is what the video that you just saw in 30 Days of Heart Work that Abe talked about earlier in the video, uh, that was all born right here. And the way that happened is that we were going through a tough time. We had really been through some stuff, some hard things. There were a lot of students in our group who were seriously struggling uh, lots of different families whose uh, parents were getting divorced and there were eating disorders and, and uh, all kinds of things. It just felt like everybody was falling apart. Some really bad stuff. And then on top of all that, we had a shooting on our campus on a Sunday morning. And the work sisters, two teenage sisters, were killed in our parking lot right over here. And we were crushed we were devastated. And it was in that, in that time of, of recovering from that and praying and crying and saying, God, speak to us, help us, heal us. We're broken. It was in that time that he spoke to us this idea of spending ourselves for others. In Isaiah 58, God says, if you will spend yourself in behalf of the poor and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, your light will rise in the darkness. In your nighttime, and we were in a nighttime, he says it will become like the noonday. And so we jumped into this crazy thing called heart work, and we, we worked really hard to serve and help orphans and raise money to build homes for orphans in different places around the world. And it was incredible, and God did amazing, miraculous things. And since then... We've seen thousands and thousands of students just like you across the country do this thing called heart work and learn how to spend themselves and give and sacrifice for others. And it's been absolutely incredible. And you're going to learn more about that. You're going to get to jump into 30 days of heart work starting next month, starting next week. You're going to hear all about it and get all those details. But tonight, the reason I'm here is I want to I wanna help... Uh, land this series that you've been in. Pastor David told me it's been incredible. God's been doing great things in your heart. Can you just throw your hand up if over these last few weeks you've experienced the love of God in your life through this series? Awesome. You're going through the vow. You're learning about each different concept. And tonight we're talking about mission. And I think the reason they said, hey, Jeremiah, why don't you come in and talk is because I think I have a few things to say 
about this idea of mission. I've seen the power of it. And I love that we're ending the series with this idea because I think when you capture the power of being on a mission and that God has a purpose for your life and a mission for you, it will transform you. It will change the way you see the world, the way you see yourself. Okay, but before we jump into that, I I want you to understand a little bit about me. Who is this guy who's talking to you? So you know that I used to be on staff here. You know that we started heart work here in this room. But I want to back up a little bit further because, you know, I, you, you don't know me, but I'm telling you, I love you. And I'm excited that I get to be here with you tonight because a long time ago, God changed my life in a crazy, crazy way. I was a messed up kid. And I'll tell you why. I was, first of all, I grew up in Texas. And so... I know we've got some Texans in here, and us Texans were crazy, just to start with. I mean, we're just a little, we're not not all there. So so I I had a rough start in the beginning. But really, I I had a major problem in my life as a kid, and it was my dad. My, My dad wasn't a believer. He had lots of issues. And one of those issues was just absolute rage and anger. So as a kid, I grew up in a really abusive home. I saw my mom abused severely over and over and over from as early as I can remember. And my dad abused me as well. So on a regular basis, I was kicked, cussed out, knocked around, told that I was trash, that I was worthless. Um, Dad threatened to kill me many times, put knives to my throat, all kinds of crazy things. And then right before I turned, just a few days before I turned 12 years old, um, and, and even in that time, I was plotting to try to figure out how to get a weapon because I, was gonna, I, I had decided I was going to kill my dad if I had to because he had just put my mom in the hospital. Uh, he beat her so badly. He was arrested. He went to jail. He got out of jail. He, he left town. And while he was on this trip, he died in a work accident. And it was the worst day and best day. Because I knew that we were free from this monster. And I told my mom that day, Mom, you're never going to get beat up again. You're safe. We're safe. And at the same time, I always hoped that my dad would change. And I loved him and I prayed for him because I grew up going to church. My mom brought me to church my whole life. My dad never would come, but I was always there. And I knew that God was real and I knew that he loved me. But, but there was this problem with my dad. So he dies. And then this, uh, this guy who knew that my dad had died kind of was sort of in, in our life. But when my dad died, he came in really close because his dad had died a year before. And uh, he was an 18-year-old guy, became a really good friend, kind of took me under his wing. And a year later, uh, he was murdered. And it turns out he was a drug dealer. And I didn't know that during, the, during that course of that time. But we became really close and uh, looked up to him so much and then got the news one day that he had been murdered. And, and then other people started dying in my life. And I, I started freaking out like, everybody's dying. What's happening? I had never been to a funeral until my dad died. And then in the course of a year, I was at four different funerals of people that I loved. And, and I was just 
I was hurting, I was insecure, I was messed up, I was, I was a broken kid. And again, I knew God was real, I knew that he loved me, and I loved him, but I knew I had some serious problems. And I just, I just couldn't see right, I couldn't see straight, I couldn't function. And so, one day, uh, at our church, the youth pastor was taking a group of, of students to this camp a few hours away, it was in the summer, and uh, going to go to this camp. Well, my mom forced me to go. I didn't want to go. Ha- ha- raise your hand if your parents have ever made you go to some church thing that you didn't want to do. Yeah, we've, we've, we've all been there, right? And I was so mad. I didn't want to go. I, I get there, though. I'm sitting on the back row with my arms crossed the first night. I'm just like, I was just starting to get to that point where I was like, God, is this stuff real? I mean, I believe in you and everything, but my life is just an absolute mess, and I'm a mess, and everything's a mess. And that night, God completely just wrecked me in the best way. And it's an amazing story, but just keep it short. The pastor, he had this this call at the end of the meeting for people to come up. If you want to be serious about God, give your life to God and all this. And I came up there and he points me out in the crowd and he says, young man, you have been so hurt by your father. I can see it in you. You're full of anger and you're full of bitterness and you need to forgive your dad. And I was just like, oh my gosh, how did he know that? And the love and the power of God came over me, and I just started weeping. I mean, like ugly crying, snot crying, snot everywhere, just messed up. And you know what? In that moment, I didn't care who was looking at me. I I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of other high school kids here all around me. I didn't care. I got on my face bald like a baby, and God just started doing this work in my heart. And that pastor said to me, he said, young man, God is changing your life right now. You're never going to be the same after this day. And he wants you to know that he's going to be your father. And he's going to teach you how to be a man. And you need to forgive your dad. And he walked me through this forgiveness. Guys, when I got up off that floor, which was like two hours later, because I couldn't stop crying. When I finally did get up, I felt different. I was different. Something was different. I had this confidence. I knew, like, God really, really loves me, and he has plans for my life, and and I have a purpose, and somehow I'm not angry at my dad anymore. Somehow that's been healed, and I had been having these nightmares uh, for two years since my dad had died that he would come back to life, and he would be like a zombie, and he would come and, like, attack me and beat me up. I had that nightmare over and over and over and over and over. That night, it stopped. Never had it again. In fact, I started having these dreams about heaven and seeing my dad in heaven and just all kinds of... I I wish if I had hours to sit with you guys, I I would tell you all the crazy details of this story. But here's the reason I tell you all that. I want you to know that the guy standing up here talking to you tonight about mission, I am not some just little church kid who, oh, Jesus loves you and let's all just be sweet and isn't it just so wonderful and the world is just rainbows and puppy dogs and if you just read your Bible, everything will go great. No, I'm a person who's saying, I was in the pit. 
I was in the darkest, deepest place. I was messed up, and God rescued me. He pulled me out of that pit. He set me up. He changed my life. And so I'm crazy about God. I love him with all my heart. And I've given my life to him since that day when I was 14. And I want you to know, if you choose to follow Jesus now, you can follow him for all of your days. You don't have to be somebody who's like, okay, I'm trying to kind of do this now. But, you know, they say when you graduate and you go off to college, you know, a lot of people stop believing. You don't have to be that person. Believe in God with all your heart. Seek him with all of your heart, and he will reveal himself to you. And he's got plans for you, and he's got things he wants to tell you. I've seen God do so many miraculous, incredible things. I mean, supernatural, crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. But the greatest thing of all are the things God has spoken to me in my heart. When he has told me how he loves me. When he's shown me his goodness. And guys, that's what he has for you. It doesn't matter if your life has been crazy, if you've been through all kinds of hard things or not. If your life has been like just about as perfect as, as a life could be, that makes no difference. God's love for you is the reason that you exist. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. So tonight as we talk about mission, I want you to understand what it all comes down to is knowing God. It's not that God needs our help. He's got these things that are broken. And he's like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do about this issue and this issue and this issue? Oh, may, maybe these people that I've created could help me. I need them to help me. It's not that. He's inviting us into something that will transform us. So here we go. That was a long introduction, but are you ready? Let me hear you. Are you ready? All right. So here we go. We're going to fly. I just have a couple of points to make, okay? So it's pretty simple. I'm a pretty simple guy. This is a simple point, and I'm going to try to say it quick. But like I told you, I'm from Texas, and sometimes Texans, we can be slow. But here it is. When we talk about mission... One of the things that is core to mission is, and I know this isn't a fun word, suffering. Everybody say suffering. Suffering. Now everybody cheer, please, about suffering. Yeah. Yes. If you've ever suffered in your life, would you just raise your hand real high? Have you ever suffered? You know, stubbed your toe, got your feelings hurt, maybe you broke your leg, maybe someone said something bad about you. We all have suffered, right? You cannot get through this world without suffering. I told you about some of my suffering in my life, but it, it, even if, you know, the, the richest people with all the best opportunities and everything will still suffer. Everybody suffers in this life. But mission, when you're on mission, It requires that you suffer. It requires that you suffer. And I know that's not the best way to try to sell you on something. If I'm like, yeah, you got to be on mission. God's got a mission for you. Okay, who wants to suffer? No, that's tough, right? But I want you to think about this with me. Think of an amazing story. It could be a book that you've read. It could be a movie. A story with a hero. In that story, 
the hero or the heroine. They always suffer, right? They face a trial, they face a difficulty, and they go through this hardship and they suffer. And why do they suffer? It's not, it's not just for the sake of suffering, right? It's because in the mission is inherent that, that the mission is about other people, right? They, the, the hero is rescuing somebody or maybe, depending what story you're talking about, it could be the whole world. Or it could be multiple galaxies if you're talking sci-fi stuff. But it's like you're out to rescue others. And so it's not about the hero, right? It's not about the hero. The hero suffers because the hero understands this journey that I'm on, this mission that I'm on is not about me. So if I have to suffer, that's okay. Because I'm not trying to just sit back and be comfortable. I'm on a mission here because lives are at stake and so I'm going to go and do whatever I have to do. It's not about the hero, but the hero will suffer. But here's the incredible thing. Even though it's not about the hero, and in our case, when we're on mission, it's not about us. When God looks at us, it actually is about us. And that's pretty cool. When God calls us to do things and he calls us to be on mission, it's for the purpose of the people that he's sending us to but it's also for us to transform us. And actually, if you think about all the great hero stories, the hero is also transformed in the process of being a hero. It's actually, if you want to Google this later, not right now while I'm talking, but do it later, look up the hero's journey, okay? It's really fascinating. The hero's journey it's this like process that almost every amazing book and movie is based on. And it, it's, re, it's really true to life. This hero's journey is something that God calls every one of us to. And you go through, in that journey, you're going to go through suffering. So because God is about transforming us in this mission, you could say that this mission and that true happiness are connected. Okay, that might not make sense yet, but it will make sense soon, I promise. Mission and happiness are, connect, are connected. So there's a, way, there's a way that this suffering brings out the true depth of life in us. Now, now the world tells us that if you want to have the good life, there's a few things that you need. And you could probably guess what these are. I'm going to boil them down to these four words here. It's comfort, status. You could also call that, you know, popularity. What do people think of me? Where do I rank in social order? It's image and it's entertainment. Okay, so comfort, status. Oh, there it is. Image and entertainment. Comfort, status, image, and entertainment. The world tells us if we have those things that we have the good life. And we could, we could talk about this through, you know, commercials and marketing that happens all the time. And we could talk about it through just celebrities and different things that it's kind of touted to us that if you want to have the good life, these are the things that you need to have. But I, I want to tell you guys that life if we chase after those things, some of those things are not inherently bad in and of themselves, but when we chase after those things, 
We've got life backwards and we don't understand that we're on a mission and that there is a purpose and that we are called to something amazing. And so if we chase those things, it, it will be in your life, it will be empty at best. But it, at worst, it will lead you to death. It will lead to destruction in your life. And I, I want to plead with you tonight. I beg you, do not chase those things. I know that it's really, really tempting, and especially when you're young, it seems like those things, they're so alluring, and everybody around you is telling you that these are the good things, and you want that stuff, and you want to be liked, and you want to look good, and you want to be entertained, and you want to have fun, and all of these things. But if you chase that, it will lead to emptiness. And for some people, it takes them 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years before they realize, oh my gosh, I've been chasing this all my life and there's nothing to it. It's empty. And so you see, this is why God, when he calls you to be on mission, he's actually calling you to deep, true life, life of joy. Let me tell you that this, that the... The idea that, that, that those things we just listed, comfort, status, and image, and entertainment, that those are things that will bring you joy, I, I want you to know it's not an accident that those things are touted in our culture. We have been brainwashed as a culture. And so I, I'm gonna, I gotta fly through this quick, but ha, raise your hand if you remember who Sigmund Freud is. This is a little school test here. Does anyone remember Sigmund Freud? Somebody tell me, what is Sigmund Freud known for? Who, who is he? Somebody just shout it out. Psychology. You guys are smart. I knew. I knew it wouldn't take long. And I've, I've been in rooms where I've said this, and it's like crickets. Who's Sigmund Freud? Nobody knows. I knew here in Colorado Springs would be good. He is the father of psychology. He had a lot of really weird ideas. Really kind of creepy stuff. But he talked about this thing about ego and the self and the things that drive us. And so Sigmund Freud had a nephew named Edward Bernays. And Edward Bernays took all of this psychology from his uncle, Sigmund. He said, thanks, uncle. Appreciate it. I'm going to take all this stuff that you've discovered and learned and written these books. And he took it and he put it into these marketing ideas and he said, if, if I could use this to get into marketing and get people to buy stuff, I bet we could sell more stuff than we ever have before. And he's, he's the one who created the entire advertising campaign as we know it today. Uh, he actually coined the phrase public relations, PR. Uh, you've probably heard it as PR and advertising. So Edward Bernays, using the psychology of his uncle, creates this crazy stuff. And, and instead of just saying, hey, if you need a new shirt, go down here and you can buy a shirt. He's the one who started creating all these advertisements and commercials and things where they get the most beautiful people and, and have them talk about that product. Or have you ever noticed like a lot of commercials, they don't make any sense at all. Actually, it has nothing to do with the product. It's like a car driving to the mountains and it ends with like, are you really living? And, and I, Camden will tell you at home all the time, I'm like, I get so frustrated at these commercials because I'm like, what does that have to do? What does the statement, are you really living, have to do with that car driving through that beautiful scenery? Or, you know, I mean, we could go on and on and on. But, but these commercials and all this stuff is, is geared to try to, 
get you to believe that you need these things. Now, check this out. This is, this is Edward Bernays, that guy. Here's what he said. By satisfying people's inner selfish desires, one made them happy and docile. And it was the start of the all-consuming self, which has come to dominate our world today. He said this at the end of his life. He was like in his late 80s when he said this. This was after his career. This was after his success. I'm going to read it again. By satisfying people's inner selfish desires, one made them happy and docile. It was the start of the all-consuming self which has come to dominate our world today. Do you agree that it has come to dominate our world today? And when he said this, gosh, that would have been probably 30 years ago when this statement was made. And it's just gotten more and more and more crazy how kind of out of control we're spinning. I have some other quotes. I'm going to skip them for time's sake. But here's the thing. Those lies didn't actually start in the 1900s. It actually started in the garden. It started with the liar, the deceiver, who said to Adam and Eve, did God really say that you can't eat from this one tree? I mean, you've, I know you've got all, everything else is already yours, but what about this one and he started to get this idea of being discontent and saying, but you should do this. Did God really say this? And they ate of it and it was death. And this is what we're all tempted with to chase after things, to try to find life in things that can never give us life. And every single day, you're going to be told that you can find happiness in all kinds of different places and in different things, but you can't. It won't work. The only place for true joy in life is right in the middle of God's will for you. And in his will, I'm just telling you, for every single one of us, not only for Pastor David, not only for people who work in a church, not only for people who are on a stage, for every single person who names the name of Christ, who follows Jesus, there is a mission for you. It is to share the gospel with people in your lives. It is to love and care for the poor who are hurting. It is to give your life. It does, you don't have to look very hard to see there's a lot of brokenness in our world. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of pain. And God has called us to be the answer to it to bring Jesus into every situation, to bring life, to bring healing. So when we, when we think about happiness, here's what we have to understand. When we say that going on mission includes suffering and that that is God's plan for you to change your life, here's what you have to understand. The good news is that nobody, nobody in this world, not your mom or your dad or your best friend, all the people that love you the most, nobody wants you to be happy more than God does. He created you for joy. He really did. He created you to love life and enjoy it. And the reason I know that this is true, that he wants us to be happy, is because his ultimate goal and purpose is to make us all look like Jesus, to be like him. It is the greatest thing. If you think about this, I, this is something for years that has just blown me away, but I want to challenge you to really meditate on this later. If God asked us 
if he appeared before you and he said, you can have anything that you want, just ask me and I'll give it to you. We would be foolish to ask for anything less, anything less, because anything else would be less than to say this, God, please, 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 will you just make me like you? Can I be like you are? Think about it. Anything less would be a waste for you to ask for. If you ask for money, power, even just to live forever or whatever, whatever you could think of, anything less than, I want to be like you. And if you asked him that question, if you said, my one request is I want to be like you, do you know what he'd say? He'd say, I have good news for you. I already have a plan to make you just like my son, Jesus. That's the gospel, guys. That is the good news, that God is transforming us to be like him. And and so here's the thing. One of the greatest ways that we can become like Jesus is to suffer with him. Jesus suffered. When we talked about heroes earlier, who, who is a greater hero than Jesus? He left the comfort of heaven and became a man. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. He is the ultimate hero, and he's called us to come with him. Now, do you think that Jesus' mission required him to suffer, yes or no? Yes. He suffered greatly. I think we don't, this is something we don't really ever talk about, but it, Jesus' suffering didn't start on the cross. Jesus' suffering started the day he left heaven. Can you imagine what it was like for him? And then he left? Uh, we don't even have time to go there. So we, I quoted Isaiah 58.10 earlier where God says, If you'll spend yourselves on behalf of the poor and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, your light will rise in the darkness and your nighttime will become like the noonday. To spend yourself is to suffer. Now, Raise your hand if you know about compassion. You know what compassion is? Not the building down the road, not the ministry, but the word compassion. Some of you are like, my dad works at compassion. Yeah, and, and compassion's awesome. But the meaning of compassion. When I heard this years ago, it blew me away. Compassion is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. Compassion is not saying, oh, man, I feel bad for these people. Compassion means, in the original language, it means to suffer with. Compassion is to suffer with. So when Jesus had compassion on us, he didn't just look from heaven and say, oh, look at all those poor people down there destroying their lives. He came down and he suffered with us. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the power of compassion. That's the power when we spend ourselves. And it's when we do that, We are on mission, and it changes our life. So let me wrap it up. How can you suffer with other people? How can you spend yourself for somebody else? I'll tell you every single day an opportunity that we have, and that's for every person we know that doesn't know Jesus. Any friend you have at school, any family member who doesn't know Jesus, they are suffering. Because they don't know who they are. They don't know why they were created. They don't know their purpose because they don't know their maker. And so one of the greatest ways that we can suffer with somebody 
who doesn't know him is that we say, I don't care what it takes. I don't care if I lose my reputation. I don't care if I'm made fun of. I don't care if this person rejects me. I will spend myself in their behalf that they could know Jesus. So that's one way. Another way is that in our world, there are a lot of people who are suffering because of poverty. And this is what you guys are going to wrestle with as you do the 30 days of heart work. But all throughout scripture, there's an idea that serving the poor and loving God are connected. In Jeremiah 22, it says, he, he defended the cause of the poor, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, says the Lord? In Matthew 25, Jesus says, hey, you cared for people. You gave these guys water. You visited them in prison. You bought them clothes. You did that for me. You did that to me. And they're like, what? We didn't do that for you. Yeah, when you did it to these, you did it to me. So guys, like I said, you're going you're gonna to wrestle with this as you go through the 30 days of hard work. I just want to challenge you to put your heart completely into it. And as we're ending this series about imagine, imagining the vow, imagining this idea of mission to say, God, I'm completely in. I'm in. And so here's what I like to ask you to do. Could we all get on our knees I want to lead you in a prayer, and I want Pastor David to come up in the band. And I, I just want to lead us in a real simple prayer. Father, it's absolutely mind-blowing what you've done for us. That you would send your only son, Jesus. That he would suffer with us but unaffected, unpolluted by this world, lived a sinless and perfect life, and he gave his life on a cross. And Father, the word says that you raised him up from the dead. Jesus, you are our example. You are our hero. And you're the one we want to be like. And we thank you, God, that you are making us like yourself. That's the whole plan. That's what the entire vow is about that we are committing to say, God, we want to be on this journey of becoming like you. And so tonight, Lord, as we talk about mission, I pray that you would just right now begin to call out from every single one of us in this room the mission that you have for us. Put it in our heart. Lord, break our hearts with compassion. Lord, stir us up to love others more than we love ourselves. Lord, that we would start to think about other people more than we think about our own image and status and comfort and entertainment. And instead of thinking, oh, what fun thing am I going to do today? Or how am I going to look today? Or what are these people going to think about me today? We would stop thinking about us and we would, stop think, we would start thinking about others around us. And we would say, God, speak to me. Give me ears to hear and eyes to see. And Lord, you would begin to speak to us, Holy Spirit, just like that pastor who called me out in a crowd and said, young man, you've been abused by your dad and you're full of anger. Lord, you would speak to us and you would say, hey, go talk to that kid over there and say these words. And Lord, in our compassion, our heart would be broken so that you could speak to us. Lord, when our heart's broken, that's when we're starting to tune in to the frequency of your heart because you hurt for those who are hurting in our world. 
And Lord, as we start to wrestle with ideas of poverty and children around the world who die of starvation and don't have clean water and girls who are forced into prostitution and all these kind of different things that happen, break our hearts, that we would spend ourselves for others. And Lord, my prayer for my friends here who I love is that God, in this process, you would make them more like you are that they would look more like Jesus, that they would look more like you, they would know you. That's the cry of our heart tonight, Lord. We love you, Jesus. I'd love for you all to just stay in this posture uh, before God. As we are praying, many of you, some of you, I don't know how many of you all know, but it was actually 16, 14 years ago today, January 31st, that I was in the ER and I had this near-death experience and they couldn't stabilize me. And it's just so crazy if someone told me, if they fast-forwarded me to 2018, that I'd be kneeling on a stage in front of a group and praying with a group of world changers that are in this room tonight. I would have never, I couldn't have figured out how I got here. But I share that with you because I'm thankful to God. Thank you, God, for letting me live. But what I, the reason why I'm sharing that is some of you in here, I think you're going to be able to identify with what I'm about to share with you. When I was in the ER and they couldn't stabilize my heart, a thought went through my mind that really, really freaked me out, and it was this. I first thought, I'm not going to live to see the sunset today. I was 31 at the time. I had a, my son was five, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. But here's the thought that struck me. I realized I knew a lot about God, and I even agreed with the stuff that was in the Bible. I did. If we were at Starbucks, I would have said, yeah, I totally. I, I agree with all that. I believe that God created and Jesus came, and I agree. And I think some of you in here agree with it and you think it's good. But then in this moment, I realized that agreeing with God is not the same thing as knowing Jesus yourself. Does that make sense? And I didn't know what was going to happen to me on the other side of my last breath. What if it's all true? What if there really is a heaven? What if there's really a hell? Like all these things were going through my mind because I didn't know how my day was going to finish up and where I would wind up. And I share that with you not to freak you out, but that, that's my story. That's my experience. And so I prayed. And I said, there's two things I'd asked of God. I said, God, if you let me live, I will spend the rest of my life trying to figure out what it means to know you and not just about you. But the other thing that I will do is I will spend the rest of my life walking and following out the plan that you have for my life. What is my mission, God? What do you want me to do? I'm an uneducated, washed-up musician. That's all, that, that's all I had up to that point in my life. No credit. I said, but I'm willing, God, to live on mission. In so many words, if you can use me, I'm in. And if you could save me, I want to know what that means. And I share that with you because in order to live on mission... It's putting the cart before the horse if you don't understand whose mission you're on and know the one who's actually leading that mission. And so 
I'm just simply going to give you the opportunity right now to understand that this idea of suffering is so counterintuitive to us because no one likes it. And even Jesus didn't like suffering. But people mattered to the point where he was willing to suffer for them so that they may live because he had compassion. And he came into this world and he suffered with us but went beyond what we will ever suffer. And he literally laid down his life to satisfy the acts of injustice that you have committed against God and other people. If you've ever judged someone, if you've ever lied, if you've ever manipulated someone, these are acts of injustice that deserve punishment. And so Jesus said, instead of you taking that punishment, there's no way you could suffer enough for your own sins. He said, Father, put the justice on me. I'll pay the price of their injustice. And he did. He suffered because his life was about living out this mission of rescue so that in this very moment, it all of a sudden made sense to you so that you could receive the grace and life because his mission lives on now through us. And I'm honored. So many years later of the day that I could have been dead to be able to be the message of this mission of Jesus. And so I want to share this verse with you in Acts chapter 3. It says, but God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent. Repent means to turn away from your old life, to make a U-turn from your sin. So that's what repent means. Repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. How can they be wiped away? Because Jesus suffered to make them able to be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he again will send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. So this is, this is in Acts chapter 3. I encourage you to read the whole story, but I want you to understand that Jesus suffered so that you don't have to in the sense that suffering for your own sins. That's where your mission needs to start tonight. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. If you don't want to just know about God, but you want to know Jesus, he wants to know you. And so if you want this, would you pray with me? And it's not the prayer that saves you, but Jesus is looking at the sincerity of your heart and he suffered so much that he wants to say yes to you. Just like he said yes to me so many years ago. So pray this with me, dear Jesus. I confess I'm a sinner. I know that I'm not perfect. I realize tonight that my sins caused you to suffer. Thank you for suffering for me. Thank you for loving me so that I could pray right now and ask you to forgive me of those sins so that your suffering wouldn't be in vain. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead and conquered death. And I believe that you're at the right hand of the Father right now hearing my prayer. I give my life to you in exchange for yours. I exchange my sin for your forgiveness. I choose to follow you. Tonight, put my feet on your mission. I ask that you would fill me right now with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to follow you the rest of my life in Jesus' name. God, you're so good.
And if you prayed that for the very first time and you meant it from the bottom of your heart, I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird, but just simply just raise your hand. Raise your hand. I heard so many of y'all praying here tonight. I see your hands. I celebrate this decision. And now we have the same supernatural birthday. For the rest of us in here, this has been a remarkable series because so many hearts have been awakened back to the things that this ministry has been all about all along, which is about living passionately, right? Understanding the power of intercession and understanding that you can change the world on your knees in prayer. Consecrating yourself, not denying yourself for the sake of pious self-righteousness, but you're denying certain things to make room for better stuff in your life that God has for you. And tonight, we close out the series from our amazing speaker tonight talking about what it means to live on mission. To go into a broken world and enter into suffering boldly, boldly. Where people are hurting, we come in and we bring life and hope. That is you. We will be a youth ministry that lives on mission. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do is underneath your chairs, you'll see these little, little pieces of paper. And there's a pen next to it. And so as the band begins to lead into this, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is a you and God moment, okay? This is a sacred, holy moment. Some of you have done this before. Some of you have never done this before. But here's what's different about tonight. We really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to really consider what God has shown you throughout the course of this series or what he's showing you in this moment and what it means to live passionately, to be committed to intercession. What are you going to begin to pray for on others' behalfs? Um, what does it mean to consecrate yourself? What are those things last week we threw away our idols and identified what those things are? And tonight, I want you to begin to ask God, what is your mission? What do you need to start at your school, on your teams, in your homes, in your circles of influence? Because now we will, are about to be sent out. And DSM is going to participate in the work of God through these four things. And so I want you to take a moment and say, God, what is it? And we're not going to draw this out. And maybe it's a deal where instead of writing it out here, you really want to go home and, and go into your room and shut the door and throw on some worship music tonight. And take 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever time, and just really consider what a vow means. Because we don't want you to fill this out just because, because when you make a vow, it's a solemn promise that you're making. And so before you fill this out, maybe you need to spend some time and say, God, before I make the solemn promise, what am I really promising myself to? And what is it you want me to promise myself to for 2018? Imagine, imagine your divine imagination. Imagine what our year will look like and what we can accomplish this year if we continue to imagine what it means to live this vow out in ways that will make people's lives better and point them to Jesus and to see radical transformation in your schools and in the city and in your own heart. It's going to happen. And I said it the first night and I'll say it one more time. DSM is going to move forward. We will be a youth ministry that lives this out. 
and you're welcome to come with us, but we're going with or without you. But we're inviting you in because this is going to be a landmark here for the kingdom of God. And God has invited us into it. So as we begin to worship, do what you need to do. I trust you to do what you need to do with this. Guys, this has been an amazing series. Thank you, Jeremiah Parks. Thank you so much for coming and sharing the last part of the series. Put your hands together for him. Now let's stand on our feet. If you're not taking time to fill this out, you want to do this a little bit later, that's totally cool. Let's close out and give God our best worship because God is a God that imagines big things and he has invited us into his imagination. He loves you. He loves us. And this coming next week, next Wednesday, we're going to be back. And we are going to put feet to this vision. We cannot wait to share it with you. Let's begin to worship. Come on, let's go. Let's worship Jesus.